0: I want you to open your Bibles again this morning to Psalm 85, briefly, and then we'll go to 1 Samuel chapter 7. We'll continue talking about revival, just the word revival, which, as I've already stated, the word means to be awakened, to be refreshed. Revival refers to a visitation. And something which God does to bring back or restore his people to the kind of a relationship they had lost, but they should have, and he brings them back. Now, I'm not talking so much about the salvation of lost people, which is what most of the time the summer revival meeting was all about in the days of old that you'd hire the evangelists to come in and we'd have a week of meetings and, and we'd hope the lost to get saved. But I think the word revive has to do with somebody who has been vibed once, who has found life once and has gotten away from it. And it's so easy to do as you could testify from the little time you've been here Or if you've been here for a long time, you can testify to the fact that you've known people or you know people who have been vibrant, that's full of life, and have somewhat cooled off or backed away a little bit or become more mellow, whatever the word is. And God doesn't want us to live like that. So I think the move of his spirit to revive is to refresh us to bring us back to the place where he wants us to be, where we're growing. So you're not growing if you're groaning and sitting on the side of the road, remembering the good old days. You're growing if you're making application of what he said. When you lose interest in doing that, you need to be revived. Now, in Psalms 85 and verse 6, the question was asked, Wilt thou revive us again? Again, meaning we have been vibed, we have found life, we have found viva once, or vida, and now we need to find it again. And they realized, just like in 1 Samuel 7, if you go over there, they realized that the state they were in was not the state they had been in before. In 1 Samuel 7, you know, I don't want to go through all of that about the ark being captured by the Philistines and sent back and the ark not having a place to be and the ark being the single piece of furniture on this earth where God would meet with man. It was the most holy place on the earth in the holy of holies, in the tabernacle. The piece of furniture was called the ark of the covenant. There was never a more sacred piece of furniture or a more sacred moment in the history of any people that when God on the day of atonement came into that little cubicle, that little room in the presence of the high priest who had sprinkled the blood of the atonement over that lid on that ark and the Lord manifested himself there in a cloud of glory. We call it the Shekinah glory. It was a grave and great moment in Israel's history. Now we're looking at a time in Israel's history when they haven't had that or haven't even had a holy of holies for years. In fact, It said, beginning in verse 1, that the Ark of the Covenant had been in the house of Abinadad for 20 years. There had been no high priest going before the Lord on the behalf of the people. There was no place for God. David built a little tent and went back and got the Ark. And remember the story when he brought it back and danced before the Lord and all of that. But it's a time in history in which God's people had turned to idols. They sought their support and their help from something other than God. Anything other than God becomes a God. I mean, you can make application of that in very simple ways. But anything that becomes what you look to other than God becomes a God. And for these people who had inherited the heathen's lands, there were the little ashtaroths, and there was the bales, and there were all kinds of practices and pagan rituals that went with these idols, that the lust and the fleshly lust of man like that because man, that's pretty good. At least we have a little God that we can see. We can't even see our God. He just appears in a place. We can't even see him like Christians today. They get tired of the routine. They get tired of the temple and the sacrifices and going through the confessions They like a difference. They like to change the scene a little bit. They started chasing after the little Moabite girls and all the other aliens. And man, they were having a good time, but suddenly everything came to what it was. It just dried up. And people who were sinful, living sinfully, God caused them to realize how spiritually desperate they were. I mean, the very God you're bowing to, somebody made it. Somebody fashioned it and whacked around on it, and it become a God. It has ears, but it can't hear. It has eyes, it can't see. It has a mouth, it can't talk. It's just a little statue that somebody made, and you're attributing divinity to it. And how foolish is that? But we do that. We may not worship the things that you're pursuing in your life, you dedicated your life to it in many ways. You would never call a God, but you might be surprised to know that God would because it's what your devotion is. It's what you're committed to. And you need to be revived. You need to come back to the God who led you through the Red Sea. You need to come back to the God who took care of you as no other could, who used nature, the cloud, by day to keep the sun off of you. The pillar by night to keep the coldness of the desert from making you uncomfortable. Fed you with food. You didn't plant a garden. The food just came from heaven. And They realize, you know, we don't even have that presence anymore. Look at us. We're living like the people that God judged. We have no peace. We have no joy. We're fighting and we're doing everything wrong. And they begin to know that God can make you feel like that. Remember the prodigal son? God could make him to feel miserable. He lets him get miserable. Like the psalmist said, no man cared for my soul. And one day, you know, the Lord speaks and we begin to move back towards God. If he'll take us because we're humble now. And so he said in 1 Samuel chapter 7, if you will return to the Lord, if you will return to the Lord, it's a question of whether you really mean it, but if you will, notice what he said. If you will return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away these strange gods that are drawing you away from God and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. And if you'll do those three things, I don't care what your situation is, or how bad it may look, God will deliver you. Now that's what they needed, that's what they wanted, and this is what the message of the prophet Samuel was. You want to return to the Lord? You want to go back to the days where it was right? Then get rid of these gods that you're serving. With your whole heart you have to come back. You can't come back because, oh, do something quick. No, you got to come back Out of the desperation of your heart, back to God. And put away all of these gods that have drawn you away. And what did he say next? Prepare your hearts. We looked at that last week. Prepare your heart. And then today, thirdly, and serve him only. You know, we talk about serve a lot. The word, well, we don't talk about a lot. We use the word a lot. We use the word serve all the time. We describe Christians. Well, uh, you know, he's serving the Lord. Or do you think he's serving the Lord? You look at a person's life or listen to him talk. They love the Lord. Oh, you know, they're, they're serving God. It's a word we use a lot. And it's a word that we use in hopefully a good sense because it's a noble thing to serve. Not many people want to serve, but those who do, it's something that's noble. It's a good thing to do it's a right thing to do and there's not a lot of people that do it i don't know that we have a good definition of the word because it's not a very hard word to define the hebrew word that's used here in first samuel chapter 7 it means to work or to serve companies often give benefits to workers employees who have worked for the company for 20 years and they have a little party retirement party and one of the words that's used is that and we admire the great service you have given to the company and now they paid him to do that and all but I mean he did a good job when he went to work as a part of this company meaning that what goes out of this workplace I'm in represents this company And I want to do this company a good job so he does his very very best and he kept his job and he did well he served his company and so the word serve is not a hard word to understand but for Christians it simply means to render homage or homage if the H is silent I don't get all of that but I'm not smart enough to get all of that I can still call a horse a horse, and a house a house, and we don't ride horses and live in houses. But, and I know I know grammatically there's some kind of a sophisticated whatever. Forget it. But a man who serves God by definition is one who renders obedient homage to God. He renders himself in service. To God. And that's what it means to serve the Lord. It's very simple. It's one who just surrenders himself. It has to do with being loyal, being committed, something that we're all familiar with. We all know about commitment and loyalty and service. And yet, if we're honest with us this morning, we know that that's not always the case in how we live. Because more people live for themselves, their pursuits, their life, their goals, their ways, my way, far more than just God's way. Because you don't know many people that do that. I mean, be all that you can be. Life is out there. Go for it. And do the best that you can do, and whatever makes you feel happy, whatever. Seek happiness. People live their whole lives exalting themselves, living for me, my and mine, us for no more. Life is all about me. Now we add church to the mixture. That sort of helps the conscience a little bit. Well, at least I go to church. We don't go to church actually to learn what to do or how to serve as much as it's a socially proper thing. To go to church and so we need to go over this thing about service I know in studying it and researching it there's a lot in the Bible about service for example we are to serve the Lord with gladness and how much do we grumble I don't mean we major on grumbling but we just notice things in life and history and and affairs that come our way or trials and tribulations or difficulties and I'll be and I'll get and we just, all the time. That's because of the way we see ourselves and not necessarily really giving that to the Lord to fix it for us. We just see ourselves sometimes as victims. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Poor old me. I'm such a poor. And we go through all of that in life. And seldom ever make application of the Lord's promised deliverance. He will lift you up. He will do this and he will do that. We don't often see that because we just sort of grumble and carry on. Something is lacking in how we have approached God in the past. I don't know how many people have truly been born again. I mean when they came to the Lord were truly changed. Now, I do believe a person can backslide, or I believe a person can drift. I do believe the sum at the end will be 30 fold and others 60 and some 100. I do believe that. But there's something that seems to be lacking in when you come to the Lord of what it all means in terms of how you're going to live now. Because you don't just add God to the equation. You don't just say, well, I go to church and I can still go out and goof off. Well, that's not how you serve the Lord. Any more than you would serve the Lord by just grumbling and complaining all the time. There's nothing joyful and glad about that. We're told to serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. Joshua said. Sincerities. I mean it. When I say I'm going to serve the Lord, I mean it. And anything that gets between God and me that would deter me from doing things his way with service, I'm not going to do it. I commit myself to service to God. And when I'm tempted to draw away from that because this is more convenient than that, I'm not going to do it because I'm a Christian. I want to live serving God and not serving myself and hoping God understands and maybe he'll help me do it my way. Service is genuine and sincere and joyful when you make that high-level commitment as a Christian. When God turns you away, he turns you around, and you're born again, you're a new creature in Christ. You don't know anything like you're going to know it. You're still as dumb as you can be spiritually. But if you're serious, in order to serve God, you'll begin to pursue knowledge of him and understand that his terms are pretty narrow. Weren't they narrow in Luke 14 when Jesus said, if any man wants to come to me and be my disciple, what did he say? He said three or four things. He said, you have to put me before your family and before your own life. Before your family or before your life. People who serve a company, if that company says, we're going to send you to Australia, they'll go. Because it's money and money is me. I mean, you're not committed to anything else besides you. And you go. And yet when God has put you somewhere and you know it, and the company says, we're going to send you somewhere else. And you say, you're going to take me away from where God feeds me spiritually? No, I won't go. Well, you lose your job. So long. Adios. You don't know many people like that. Because the world would look at us as fools. The idea that you would commit yourself to God and his way even before your family. Look at all the money you can make. Get the logic and the reasoning into this fact. Factor that in. Look what you could have. Look where you could go. Look at all the things you could do. You could, you could, you could, you could. And yet a person says, I'll trust the Lord with all my heart and lean not to my own understanding. In all my ways, I will acknowledge him and he will direct my steps. That's the kind of person who will serve the Lord. You only live once. You only live one time. The longest years of your life are the first 20. Trust me. And after that, they seem to accelerate. They don't get worse, they just mellow out. But you live one time. You have one opportunity. In all of history, you have one opportunity to serve your God. You have one opportunity to do it right once. You have many opportunities to go to places of worship. Not all are right. There's a place that's right for you because that's where God will feed you, inform you, show you, and prepare you to know how he wants you to live. Because when you live the way he shows you to live, you are serving God. That's the way you serve him. Let me give you an example. Military. Many of you were in the military. You know what it's like. Today's army is a volunteer army. Now, when I was in the in the Marine Corps, it was I was drafted. See, but I thought I'd throw that in. But when you're in the military today, it's a choice you make. Am I right? I want to join the military, some branch of service. I want to be a Marine. So you join, you go in, and. They sign you up, they're all real friendly, they're like, hey, how you doing? Come on, yeah, we'd love to have you. And then when they get your name on there, they start calling you names. (laughs) They send you to some place of training, Paris Island, or some place wherever they prepare you to serve the state or to serve your country. And the moment you get off, in some places, you get off the bus. When they take you there, there's a sign that says, at this point, give your heart to God because the rest of you belongs to whatever branch of service you're in. And they begin to break down all the parts of you that won't fit into their program. Everything that was of this world that taught you to be independent, an independent thinker, and do things your way, they begin to take that out of you and break it down because you can't serve your country with that attitude. So they have to deal with you. And they have things called drill sergeants. Now, when I was a drill sergeant, we were, we were able to uh, call names and deal with them pretty roughly, but they don't do that anymore. Actually, I never was a drill sergeant. <laughs> I've heard all the stories of how in training, breaking down that systems of the world so that the systems of the military life control and rule in your life and in your thinking. They get on you pretty hard. And yet you do it. They wake up in the middle of the night, throw trash cans down the barracks, whatever it is that that makes your evening a little less comfortable. And you march a lot and you run a lot, they say. You climb and jump and shoot and then you're afraid half the time. And yet, when you go into battle, when you go into battle, one thing you have learned is how to take orders. You respond to authority. And when the authority says, let's go, men, you don't say, well, where are we going and how long will it take to get there? You just get up and go. There may be in a time of battle, there may be bullets whizzing around or mortars or some kind of explosive going off somewhere, but you're committed to the training you've had to respond to orders, and in this case, we as soldiers are going there. There are bad guys over there. Their desire is to kill you. And yet your commanding officer said, up and at them. And you find yourself up and at them, Willing to make, willing to make like Luke 14 says you, you give your own life for the cause of the state. The ultimate sacrifice is service today. They say dying for your country, serving your country with your life. And that's, everybody applauds that. I say everybody. the The media, as we know, applauds that, and the people do, and everybody just how wonderful such a person was and we're going to miss this and that. And yet, if we as Christians did that, if we had the same attitude towards authority, God's authority, if we followed the training that he puts us in where we break down the world to bring in the kingdom of God into your life and your heart, Jesus said, learn of me, do things his way, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Somebody has to teach us that so God puts you where the training begins and the word comes in. You begin to think in a new way. You begin to see things differently than you've ever seen it before. And your life begins to change and your parents are really appalled because you're surrendering your life to them to some kind of a, a religious idea. And all of a sudden the church is teaching you and training you and trying to show you what God wants becomes a cult because it's different from the other churches on the corner and that's all I'll say. But they see you as you're in some sort of a cult. That you're giving up your life and throwing away your life for these ideas. You're not approved of anymore. You're looked down upon. You know why? Because you're serving God. You desire to do things his way. I know what people say. I remember those years well. And I've already been through that once. But... People think you're brainwashed. That somehow I, by some superior connection with something, am able to wash your brains. I wish I could wash people's brains. Cleansing of the word, remember that? But they think you're under the control of some man. They would never think that in the military when you're willing to die for whatever that man said. Get up and go, boys, and bang, you get shot. Everybody said, that's great. That's great. What a sacrifice serving like that. And yet, if you're a Christian and you modeled your service to God, much like you modeled people's service to their country. Oh, oh, don't do that now. Don't do that. No, honey, now th- well, now before you do that, think, think about what you're doing. In the military, what would happen if they said, okay, boys, let us go. Now, well, wait a minute, I don't know if this, I don't know if I should do this or not. Well, now, wait, I just don't know if it's a work, right? I mean, it just doesn't seem right. Well, you'd get put in a a brig. You may be alive, but you'd be put in a brig. Then you'd be dishonored when you got out of the military, and then nobody would hire you to work. And yet, if you're committed to God, and you know the prevailing attitude in the world out there views anybody that is totally given to the service of God, they view you as a religious freak. You're strange. They don't want other kids to hang around you because you're all about God. And you're not about other things. I mean, you, you can't even enjoy life because all you do is listen to Christian music and go to church, read your Bible, pray, and witness. What a wasted life. And yet, you're serving the Lord. You turn your heart over to God. You say, Lord, I want to know what I'm supposed to do. And you know what he tells you? Romans 12.1. You know what Romans 12.1 said, don't you? Present yourself as a living what? A living sacrifice. What's that mean? Living alive with a will and free choices. Living dedicated to the way that God has shown me to live. In that way, I serve God. I can do other things. I can still go on vacation. I can go fishing, go hunting. As long as nothing I do would interfere with him or violate anything he's taught me, I can do it. But when my conscience is asked to be violated, when I'm asked to do something my conscience cannot agree to, I won't do it. And if I'm put in jail because of my conscience or my convictions, then so be it. Because I am going to serve the Lord. I am not, listen, I am in this country, the greatest country on earth. I am a sojourner and a pilgrim. Am I not? My home is in heaven. I am supposed to live in this life committed to God on his terms. And anything in this system of man down here that asks me not to do that, I won't do it. I won't take an oath. Lay your hand on the Bible and swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I can't do that. Any more than I can personally pledge allegiance to a flag. A flag has no conscience. I can pledge allegiance to God whom I know. I can commit myself to him. I cannot commit myself to two different things because I can't serve two masters. I can pray for one and commit myself to the prayer and the well-being of one, but my loyalty and my heart, the whole heart and the service is to God. And I know what people think when you say that. I know what people think when you teach the Sermon on the Mount, turn the other cheek. Well, in this age, nobody turns the other cheek. Or we'll talk about not dating or or dressing modestly. And you who are you? Where'd you? What rock did you crawl out from under? See, I am going to dress, bless God, the way I want to. And if I want to show what I got, I'm going to show it. Because it's my this and my that. And if I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that, I'm not going to do it. Because you see, I'm all about me. I'm all about how I want to look, what I want you to think. I want people to notice me, admire me, look up to me, wish they were me, have my picture somewhere, honor me, be afraid of me. Because I'm all about me. I'm working hard to be me. And you cannot be a Christian. Because there is nothing Christian about any of that. God wades in by his spirit to dismantle every bit of that stuff. You can only serve the Lord, the Bible says, with humility. Just like the prodigal son last week. You can only serve God by humbling yourself before God and admitting that God is altogether right and you're altogether wrong. And when his word comes to you and it says, this is the way walking in it, you say yes. Yes. Even though it's going to cost you this, you're going to have to give up that. Walk away from that and change your view of this or that. Whatever it is, I will do it because I'm committed to the service of my Lord. And we don't know a lot of people like that. I know there's some coming and I know that this is going to happen. But there's just not a lot of people who seem to be that dedicated. Listen to these words. God spoke to Israel. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 10. It says, and now Israel shall be built. What does the Lord require of you? Require, not suggest. We're not going to vote on it. What does he require of you? He says this. Among other things, to walk, so forth. He said, and serve the Lord Thy God, with all thy heart, with all thy soul. When you wake up in the morning and you begin your day, realize this, arm yourself with this attitude. I am today a Christian. I am today a servant of my Lord. I am no longer my own. I have been bought with a price, have we not? I, as Paul said, I am his purchased possession. I have no longer rights to me in my wicked, lost state. I gave my rights to him. And he must increase, I must decrease. And the more I learn about this, the more I can decrease. And so you humble yourself before the Lord. And you begin your day with the attitude that today I will serve the Lord. Whatever God would deem as right and whatever he has shown me as right is what I am committed to doing. In this way, I will serve the Lord. What if all of us lived that way? You know, we wouldn't gossip anymore because God didn't teach us to gossip. God doesn't approve of gossip, does he? any little God that might promote gossip I'm not going to say anything about y'all's computers and phones and books and skeeters or tweeters or whatever I'm not going to say anything about the desire of your thumb because sometimes your brain goes into your thumb but there's some things that you don't do if you're serving God there's just a lot of things that we have allowed ourselves to do that is not a way that we serve God. We complain and we moan and we groan. Everything but serve the Lord with joy and gladness. Psalm 100. Oh, well, we can't always be joyful. Can we always be grumbly? We seem to be. You can be what you're committed to be. If you want to be a joyful person, let me tell you something. Nobody can keep you from being joyful. Not even the trials of life, which you'll count all joy. Not your oppressors. Paul sang in a prison cell at night. Locked up in a nasty, infested, stinky old place. And he just sang hymns. Nobody can take that away from you if you're committed to that. This is what would please God. And because it would please God, I am committed to his pleasure. Teach me thy way, O Lord, that I may walk in. Thy truth, unite my heart to fear thy name. And that's what you do. That's how we do it. Now, let me give you a few examples of application. When we define as living for, honoring God with our bodies and life, let me show you some applications of it. Number one, what it takes to do this, probably first and foremost, is your attitude towards God. We call it reverence. The Bible calls it the fear of God, F-O-G, the fear of God. I would imagine this morning and after all the years that I'm doing what I'm doing, I cannot think of anything more important to a Christian than to have the fear of God in his heart or her heart. That's why you'll be faithful. That's why you will endure. That's why you won't turn back or give in. That's why you will lay down your life, which Paul said is your reasonable service. Reasonable. Reasonable. And the reason you don't give it and take it back or halfway give it is because of your attitude towards God. Who are you dealing with? You're dealing with God. God. The psalmist said, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? There is no God like our God, who measures the earth by the dust in his hands, the span of the universe in the palm of his hand. Who is like that? This is the same God who was able to go into Egypt and take a bunch of slaves with no religion, take a bunch of slaves. 400 years, anything of God was bred out of them, moved. They were just mindless laborers. And God was able to send a man in there to lead them out. Miracles, the greatest army in the world, the most mighty nation on the earth. Could not cope with the God they couldn't see. They could see his wondrous works and his mighty acts, but they couldn't see him. Caused the sea to open up. And I don't know how many people there were led out of Egypt. It might have taken a whole day for that many people to walk through there. You're talking about a million people or two million people, that'd take a long time. And then, then the army came in behind them, the sea just closed over on them. And he led these people in the wilderness 40 years. There's no water in the desert. I've been there, I've seen it. You talk about an arid nothing, it is an arid nothing. And yet, if we use two million as maybe a million, but every day they had water. You know where they got water? They got water from rocks. Water, the Bible says, gushed out like streams. Food came from heaven. Manna came on the earth. How many tons? Every day. How many million gallons of water every day where there was no water? It's the greatest miracle of all time. For 40 years, how many billion gallons of water came from where there is no water? What did their cattle eat? They had cattle. They had abundance of cattle and sheep. What did they eat? They eat manna. I don't know. I wasn't there. But there wasn't a feeble one amongst them, not two million people. Everybody had enough to drink, had plenty to eat, they slept good at night, they were comfortable during the day. They had no enemies that could do anything to them. And the same God that did that by a word created the world. Be and pow, there it became a universe. A universe that is so vast today that they say stars are so far away, light travels at what, 86,000 miles a second? A second, 86,000 miles in one second. And after a light year is the distance light would travel in one year at 86,000 miles a second. That comes a long way. And some stars have taken like several, they say, thousand years, light years, for the light to finally get here. It's that far away. And God made it with a word, be! Whop! Like I said, man in his little spaceship ran around a grain of salt a couple times. And one of the Russians says, I didn't see God, I was up there. You weren't even under his fingernail. I remember an angel said to a fellow I knew once, he was being taken to heaven. He was being healed while this was happening but he was being taken to heaven to see something that would forever change the rest of his life on the earth because he brought him back he said you know how big God is the angel said to him he said no he said the distance from one eye to the other is more than three billion light years light travels 86,000 miles a second 60 seconds in one hour 24 hours a day 1800 and uh, flights I don't have enough zero I run out of zeros I don't even know what terms you use for that many zeros and to think to think that that one single Almighty God had you personally in mind when he created this little grain of salt called the earth you were on that earth Only in the mind of God. You weren't even created yet. But Ephesians 1 says he knew you. He foreknew you. And the day came in the existence of man that you were born. And he had you in mind with all the loving things that he did in your life to bring you to him. Personally had his attention on you. The God that did it all. That did everything. There's no end to who he is and how vast and big he is. The psalmist said, if I go to the highest peak, you're there. If I go to the greatest depths, you're there. Where can I go to hide from God? You can't. He is at all times everywhere. You cannot fathom God. You cannot, by searching, find out God. And The idea that this one God saved me. He could have let me fall into the same river the Egyptians fell in. He didn't save them, he saved me. It wasn't the rest of my family, it was me. It wasn't the rest of the church I was in, it was me. He saved me. Why? Because of that one overwhelming word that is undescribable, and that's the love of God. Plucked you out of the miry clay, set your nothingness and your vanity in his garden and begin his process of change. One idea, one goal here is so that you will be so thankful and enamored with what God has done that you will commit your way unto him the rest of your life. Even as the psalmist said, commit thy way unto the Lord. If you commit it to yourself, what happens? You die. And the God of all the earth who gave you an opportunity, who called you out of darkness, he's just and fair. I mean, he's just and fair. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And if you don't want it, then he can say, well, you don't want it. You are condemned. And the only reason you and I are in this room this morning and not condemned is because God who loved us Chastened us to keep us from going back. And if we did go back, he doesn't want to judge us so he's working on us right now while I'm talking on your hearts and your minds. He's talking to us now, right now as I speak about the level of commitment that we have or do not have unto God who saved us and there's a reason that we're here. There is no other God. Nobody can do what God does. And God has chosen to make you his son. Sent his son to die on the same earth we live in in a horrible death. Raised him from the dead and sent him back to verify that he's still alive and he's coming back again because he loves us. The psalmist said, serve the Lord with fear. Serve the Lord with fear and reverence. Remember who God is and remember who you were. You are nobody. He is everything. He didn't call you to pursue your own way and be cool. Nobody in this room is called to be cool. No Christian is ever called to be cool or neat. We're called to be servants, to serve the Lord to dedicate our life. He won't make you serve him. He's called you to commit your way to him and to serve him. Listen to what, again, in the book of Deuteronomy, how the word serve is connected with the word fear. Deuteronomy chapter six and verse three, he said, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him. Fear comes first. You shall reverence the Lord your God. Be aware of who he is and what he is and you shall serve him. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave. The word cleave in one translation says, be true to him at all times. What would that mean? If you fear the Lord, what would happen in a time of temptation when the devil's trying to lure you away? I mean, in your heart, I'd rather die than than be lured away. And I've given it to him. I can't give it to anything or anybody else, including my family. My life belongs to God. He's teaching me how to love my family, how to love this, how to love the country, how to love my neighbors, friends. He's teaching me how to do that in context of him being the chief source of my love. But I cannot, in a time of temptation, turn away and do something else. I just can't do it. If you're in Deuteronomy or close to it, I want you to look at this one. Deuteronomy 13 and verse four, look at this. This is the message that God was given to his people. Six specific things. The chief of which I believe is serve. The others won't work if you don't. Verse four, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments. And obey his voice, and you shall serve him, and you shall cleave unto him. Now, if you want to serve the Lord, that has to come first. Your attitude towards God must be that of reverence and fear. Does it mean we would ever be afraid? Of course it would. Of course it would. It would be a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Would it not? Hebrews speaks about our God as a consuming fire. And the context from which he took that in the two or three places in the Old Testament has to do with judgment. You don't want God to judge you. When you serve the Lord, the Bible says, with fear and trembling, there is an emotional aspect of this. As I've said so many times, nobody loves you like your mother. Now, you get loved by your wife and your kids, of course. But the way a mother loves a child is different. My mother loved me. I was her baby. And as long as I did what my mother wanted, I enjoyed her love. And when I did not do, for whatever youthful reason I didn't want to, then my mother would be angry. And she'd tell me to go get a limb off that maple tree out in the front yard, and I had to do it. I wouldn't run from my mother. I'd run from my dad, but I wouldn't run from my mother because I knew I had to come home at night and I had to eat, and she'd still be waiting, and she would forget nothing. I mean, when say said at church, you're getting a whipping when you get home, I got one. Even though I love a mommy, I love you, mommy, 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 I got a whipping anyway. And she'd take a limb off the tree and hold my left arm because she was right-handed. And as we say, wore me out. I'm going to wear you out, which means I'm going to keep going until the limb's gone. Now, I was afraid of her when she was going to do that. I didn't want her to do that. Oh, no, no, not do that. She's already committed herself to do it. She's going to do it. But she didn't do it because she was hateful towards me. She didn't do it because she just wanted to see how much I could take. She did it because it was right for me to learn to obey. I think God chastens whom he uh, receives, doesn't he? That you may learn that you don't have the right to reject and pick and choose what he says. You don't have that Right. <laughs> The second thing, not only do you have to reverence God, but you have to be willing to follow. Now, that's a word that's common, to follow the Lord. Turn to John 12 at verse 26. John 12 and verse 26. Jesus said, if any man will serve me, let me ask you a question. How many of you are willing to serve the Lord? If any man will serve me, let him follow me. What does that mean? That's not hard to understand, is it? Let me ask you a question. Can you follow him if you don't know him? Can you follow him if you don't know where he's going? You can't. So how can I know him? Teach me. You learn. We're supposed to be students. That's what a disciple is. We're learners. We don't just join a church, get baptized, and find a pew and sit back the rest of our life, like the church I grew up in, and wait for the sermon to end. That's not service. That's just membership that you enjoy, not service to God. That benefits you, not God. That's not what he wants. No. He said, if any man's going to serve me, let him follow me. To follow means I learn about who you are. I learn about your ways. And then you give me the freedom with my will to choose whether or not I want to do that. And your ways are not easy. Didn't Peter say that it is with difficulty that the righteous will enter into the kingdom? We've all been trained by this world to look for easy everything. Everything has been made easy. It's trying to make easy for us. The world tries to make things easy. We feel like we're doing the good to our children. We make everything easy. And God never makes it easy for us. When he speaks, he speaks plain. And when we've had it easy all of our life, we go out that door grumbling about how hard a message it was or how long he preaches, or he just keeps jamming that same old, same old down our throat. And the reason we say that is because that's how we serve. That's your heart. The grumbling and the complaining that comes out of our mouth is the condition of our hearts. When your mindset becomes, well, you go to church, you know, he's going to do this, he's going to say, that. You're not serving the Lord, whoever you are. You're not serving the Lord. You're serving yourself. You want something easy. Give me 15 minutes of love. Tell me how wonderful we are and how mighty things are going to be for us and send us home. Would God do that? Would Jesus come in and say, I love you all. Go home and remember that. Well, he does love us, doesn't he? Did you read the Sermon on the Mount? Read Luke 14. If any of you will come after me, you must hate your mother, father, brother, your life, your sisters, your own life also, and take up your cross daily and follow me. And we're going, what? Yes. And no man can be my disciple who is not willing to forsake all that he hath. That's not easy. No, it isn't. But it's the way of God. Many are called. Not many will follow. Not many. Because that keeps me from having what I want and doing things my way. How can I be Charlie Potatoes and be everything? I mean, I'm an athletic star, and you're telling me that I'm going to have to violate too many of my Christian principles by living a life of a major league athlete? My brother was a major league athlete. I know, I know what they do. They're gone a lot. What do you do by church? Church? <laughs> What's church have? Church has everything to do with it. Because the Bible said, forbid not what? Well, that's too narrow. Then you're not willing to serve God on his terms, then are you? Do you think Jesus made it easy? Do you think when crowds turned and walked away from him, he tried to go get them back? He even said to Peter, them in John 6, he said, will you go also? He said, where shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. Jesus, only you have the words of life. Martha, Martha, you are so encumbered with so many things, but Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken from her. You know what it was? Jesus said, only one thing is necessary, and you can't get that on your terms. There is one place I belong, and that's here. I know that for me. This is where God ministers to me, and I'm preaching. Unless you think everything I'm saying this morning I plan to say, I think some of y'all are dragging it out of me. We're in the same boat together. We have to check our minds and our attitudes about how we're living. Are we really following the Lord or are we following ourselves? Do we get crushed when our children aren't the greatest and the latest and the greatest or when the Promotion didn't include me, or I wasn't voted in. How can you serve God with an attitude like that? At what point in the meeting when you attended, when that was dealt with, did you kick it out and say, I don't need that? I'm just saying that the way that God has given to his people is not easy. God knows my heart. I've prayed this, I'm not trying to make anything hard. One time I went somewhere with what I call a sugar stick. And you know, I knew they were expecting, here he comes. Ugh. And I went in there, I thought, I'm just going to get my little sweet sugar stick this morning. And they still went, ugh. You know what Jeremiah said? Jeremiah said, Lord, every time I open my mouth, it's whoa and and people are just... Jeremiah said, so I determined not to speak this word anymore. Because you see, I'm getting persecuted. I'm not enjoying it. I'm not somehow being promoted by it. I'm not applauded. I, so Jeremiah said, I am going to leave it alone. At the very next verse, he says, but thy Word was shut up within my bones like a burning fire, and I could not contain it. Would to God it would happen to everybody in here. The word of God would have such a grip on your heart that you could not but do it and speak it and love it and learn it. Following the Lord, that's what he wants us to do, to follow him. If a man's going to serve the Lord, then he's going to follow him. If he's going to follow him, then he's going to serve him. Listen to this verse in the Psalm: Psalm 100, verse 6. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. Hmm. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. The advice that King David gave to his son Solomon who built the temple. Solomon, he said, serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. Don't hold back. Count the cost. Are you willing to give up anything and everything that's holding you back? Are you willing to walk away from it if it's keeping you from serving God? Count the cost. Do what he says. Count the cost. This is what God wants. Thirdly, is loyalty to Jesus. Fear the Lord. Follow the Lord. And be loyal. Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Isn't it true that the devil does his very best to lure you away from the God way of life into the man way of life? Wouldn't the devil try to promote you and project you into some kind of lifestyle as miss everything, mister everything, holding the admiration of people and everybody going looking at you and say, Wow, or what a body, or what a build, or what a face? Wow. And how many people strive after that? There's barrels of sweat being poured out today, but people trying to look frisky again. I think for some, it might be hopeless, but a lot of them are trying. (laughs) They're probably trying. Why do you want to look that way? If you want to say, well, I feel like I'm just getting a little run down. I want to do a little exercise. Okay. Six hours a day? What are you after? Look at men taking all these men pills today, all these male pills. What are you after? Do you have any idea the damage that you're going to hear about in a year or two of what that stuff is doing? Huh? What is this idea about turning away from God and trusting him and then all this other stuff because you want to be that man or that lady turn to Matthew 4 Matthew chapter 4 Satan said to Jesus in Matthew 4 took him to a high place what did he say to him If you think the devil can give you all of this stuff, then you need to rethink it. But it doesn't matter. Testing doesn't have to be true. Because it's God who sets up in the kingdom. It's God who gives this or that to man. Not the devil. But the devil, if he can tempt you by lies, he's a master of it. He was a liar from the beginning. So he said to Jesus, he said, if you will do this, I will give you all these kingdoms. And all the what of them? All the glory of them. You'll be famous wealthy, served, admired, looked up to. Your picture will be on everybody's wall. You'll be on all the latest publications. You'll be Mr. It in this world. What did Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan, for him and him only shall you serve. Who is him? It's Jesus. It's the Lord God only does only mean only Now think about it i just want you to think this is here for a reason (laughs) then is it possible that all these things that the world is promoting are the very things that keep you from serving the lord i mean you live in a world full of this stuff can they deter you they obviously can but jesus said all that stuff You serve the Lord and you serve him only. Only. And nobody else. Not yourself. Not anything. Not anybody except Jesus Christ. And the liberties you have and... Serving the company or the boss you work for and how you work. And the Bible has a lot to say about service. Be obedient to your masters and so forth. And and wives, love your husbands. And husbands, do your... I mean, the Bible has all kinds of things that that are enriched because of the love that God flows through us. Because we give, first of all, our hearts to Him. And then you can love people right. You can walk away from trouble, disaster, and stuff. All that kind of stuff. Because if you gain the world, you can lose your soul. And Folks, you can't serve two masters in this life. You can't serve yourself. You can't live in pursuit of your dream and serve God. You can't do it. Now, somebody needs to say that in your lifetime so that the Holy Spirit can impress that on your minds. We cannot serve ourselves in this life And the way we want to live, it is for us as purchased people to learn his way so that we may do what he wants with our lives. With our pretty faces, our muscular bills, and our talents, we give it all up to him for whatever he wants to use it for. And for thy pleasure we are created. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Worthy of what? Of you? Is he worth everything you can give? Of course he is. And when you step aside out of that and you begin to do things your own way, you're asking for trouble. Now the Bible says, fourthly, a whole lot about serving each other. I won't go into all of that, but it tells us by love, serve one another. To esteem others, Philippians 2 says that we should esteem others as better than ourselves. That because of the influence of God in our life, we look out for the needs of other people. We care about how you're doing. We care about how things are going for you. We often are led to help people. If you see a brother in need, the Bible says, then help him assist them in some way put other people's needs before your own because in serving God you also serve each other and if we live like that where would the fighting be where would all this contention be we wouldn't have any of it because we would be serving the Lord and he would be the Lord of our life what's the reward for all of this turn to Matthew 25 and we'll close what is the reward for all of this Well, the reward for all this in verse 22 is heaven. Heaven. Heaven, just like that. Heaven. Everybody in this world, in this life who dies and goes to heaven had the best you could get. You might have not had a whole lot of stuff on this earth. You might not have been admired by very many people. You might have been looked down upon as some religious freak of nature. But the Lord had your heart and you served him. And your life was all about him and whatever pleases him. That's why you were loving towards people. That's why you pay your bills and pay your taxes to treat your wife and your children right and take time for all the needs in your life because that's the way you serve him. The wife who submits to a husband who's not always very nice, she doesn't submit to him because he's nice. She submits to him because he, God, holds her in loving him to love that man the way she would love him as unto the Lord. Everything in our life is affected by how we serve the Lord, if we do. And if we're not serving the Lord, well, what happens? Well, it's not good, but when it is good, in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 22 said, Well done, good and faithful servant. What does faithful mean? Loyal, a follower, a disciple, obedient, responder, adherer, doer. Not a grumbler, not a complainer, not I, wish, I, wish, I. none of that. None of that. None of the griping and complaining and the misuse, none of that. That's not how you serve the Lord. You're serving yourself. You serve him with a good and joyful heart. And you know what? When you do, he says, the uh, last part of that verse says what? Enter where? Listen, the Bible said, who for the joy that was set before him. Did the Bible say that about Jesus? Who for the Joy that was before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God? What was the joy before him? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing Zion. and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. This is a joyful place we're going to. Every revival in history, the great Wales revival at the turn of the last century when I was born. (laughs) The last century, their, their great Wales revival was marked by singing. They could hear them singing from blocks and blocks away. When the meeting started, the redeemed of the Lord began to sing. The Lord had put a new song into their mouth, even praise unto their God. And what does it say? Many shall See it and shall fear and shall trust in the Lord. That's Psalms 40. Singing. Singing with grace in your hearts. Joyful, exuberance. Pleased with the fact that God is making all things well with me. He is the master of my body, the master of my life and my finances, my marriage, my pastor, everything I do, Lord. He is the master of it, the author of it, the fixer of it and the promoter of it and the maker of it to do good of it. How's that? Why wouldn't I serve the Lord? Why wouldn't I bow my heart to say, thank you, God, for dragging me out of that miry pit that I was in and bringing me to Shelbyville, I've had people say, "I don't like this place." Who cares about where you are, as long as God is there? You know what, Shelbyville is a good place because God meets me here. This building, this cathedral we're in—oh, I want a new one. I got it written up on the board just so I could remind you: BLDG is short for building. I'd love to have a newer one, a better one, just a little bigger. But until that happens, he meets me here. He meets me here right in this room. He sends his angels to surround us as we meet. Why? Because he brought us here. What's the purpose of his word? So when you get out of here and you walk out that door and you go home, You've got something that you heard that the Spirit of God can put you in remembrance and something that will keep you from sin. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I won't violate what you told me. What a privilege we have. I ask God to bring deep, serious, everlasting revival on this assembly. Amen. To do what I've said the last three weeks. To bring us into that place where God is everything. Amen, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I give you thanks this morning for your goodness, your kindness, your favor, and of course, mercy and grace. Heavenly Father, without you, we are nothing, nobody destined to die and perish. But with you, there is eternal life. And you have offered it to us. We live but a brief time, O Lord. You said we're like a vapor of smoke. We don't have a lot of time. Help us, O God. Daily remind us that we are not on this earth to serve ourselves or to serve our interest, but to serve you and whatever advances your kingdom. Grant us the willingness to do that, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name Jesus, my Lord He is the mighty King The master of everything His name is wonderful Jesus, my Lord He's the great shepherd Thank mm-hmm.